you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, we are charting the sell-off with the three most troubling charts in the markets, according to one of our traders. Plus, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson is standing by on the Fast Line. He's been calling for a 10% pullback. We'll get his take on today's big drop. And later, we're gearing up for the tech titans, how our traders are positioned as we get ready to kick off a monster week of earnings. We start off with the market sell-off front and center. The S&P dropping more than 1.8% today for its worst day in more than a month, while the Dow erased its gains for the month of October. All 11 S&P sectors were negative today, with energy hit the hardest. Four big factors, of course, weighing on the market here. A new record for coronavirus cases, no stimulus. We are kicking off the busiest week of earnings and the election just eight days away. So for all of these reasons, should investors pair their risk right now? Is that what we saw playing out in the market? Tim, we'll start off with you. Well, I, I think if you look at the trend really since mid-July, we, we had an up 10, down 10, up 10 percent again in the market. Now we pulled back almost 5 percent. This is largely a range train around uh, uncertainty on elections and stimulus. And, and I think if you look at the, the companies that are going to report later this week with that big eye on Thursday where we have Amazon, Apple, Facebook, you know, you name it, uh, that's coming out in terms of where the uh, the mega cap market tech has been. But I, I think the COVID cases stepping up uh, a notch, EU putting in additional curfews. I mean, these these are headline grabbing dynamics that, that certainly the market is going to feel the weight of. Um, and I think we've been digesting the stimulus talks or lack thereof for for, again, for weeks, if not you know, a couple months. Um, I think the market is very much range bound. I think traders in the short to medium term don't feel like they have to put capital to work before the elections. Um, but I, I think largely the same backdrop is there. We're going to talk about the 10-year uh, bond and bond yields higher. I think some of those trends stay intact. And I think the, the defensiveness of mega cap tech will still appear to be uh, a place where the market is comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. I mean, in this market backdrop, Guy, do you stick with that tech trade, which seemed to be the defensive trade for so long. It's clearly been the winner, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. but the market scared me for a long time. As, the market has terrified me for a long time. Let me put it out there. And here we are at 3,400. I mean, this is effectively the same level we topped out at the all-time high back in February, I think, 16th or 17th or thereabouts. The only difference is, and this is why I'm, I continue to be concerned, is because Back then, the VIX was 14. Look where the VIX closed today. The VIX closed at 32 and a half today. Topped out at 33.60 was where we closed back on September 3rd in terms of the VIX. I mean, those are all very concerning things. I mean, with that said, the right thing to do has been buy every dip in this marketplace. I think this is your pivot point. I think the names that you, Tim just talked about better say some really good things on Thursday, specifically Apple. Because you question really, you ask yourself, did Apple shoot at their bullets? Did they have used all the arrows in their quiver last quarter when they announced a fantastic quarter, wondering if a lot was pulled forward? And that stock split, I mean, that's the one that I'm really focused on this week. They had that. They had the launch of the 12. Karen, we've got a lot of the social stocks pulling forward potentially gains uh, to be made off the back of earnings when Snap reported. So how do you think we're set up, given all of these sort of wild cards in the markets right now, 
We are also starting off earnings season with this very particular setup, which may not be conducive to more gains here. You mean all five biggest companies reporting on the same day or right. the same yeah. 48 <laughs> hours? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to make of that except for I guess it adds volatility. To me, each story is somewhat different. Apple, I think actually that the story will be about commentary going forward. I don't know that it's so much about this quarter. And so when we saw the snap numbers, which were huge, that was great for Facebook good for Google. They pulled back somewhat. So I'm still long that both of those, Facebook and Alphabet. I you know, like those story. I think it's intact. Uh, Microsoft is a little stretched, but they've been doing a great job. Compare that with SAP. I don't know if we'll talk about that more later, but um, you know, Microsoft executing over and over again, SAP not as much. Uh, I, I'm long. I'm actually, t you know, I always have protection. I sold some today with the VIX, as Guy mentioned, spiking up to 33. I think I sold it when it was around 32 or something. That feels scary to sell puts when the VIX is spiking. Mm -hmm. But that's also why you own them. You own them for when the market trades off a lot. And then I bought some Ulta today, which it peaked at like 242, and today you could buy it at 218, 219, maybe a little lower actually. So it's scary to buy when there, you know, I always say when there's blood on the streets, that's when you have to buy, even if the blood is your own. So I was out there bleeding and buying a little and selling some puts. Very visual, Karen. Uh, Dan, what do you think those conference calls are going to be like in, in terms of earnings? I mean, if you're a company, what is your incentive at this point to actually give guidance for the current quarter, let alone the following year, given the uncertainties of the election ahead, the uncertainties of the spike in COVID cases, et cetera? Yeah, so I think it's a really important point, the FMAGA complex in particular. The, the sort of visibility that these companies have because of their moats, because of their reach, and just in general, um, it's going to be far better than most of the rest of the market, especially more cyclical sort of companies. So I think you're going to probably see the sort of guidance and confidence out of these companies that have basically let them flex all this year, winning the pandemic for all intents and purposes, and their stocks certainly have. Um, so I don't think you're going to see massive disappointments out of Microsoft like you saw at SAP. Um, but I will say this about the stock market. You know, Tim just mentioned the kind of, you know, the 10% up, 10% down. We've definitely been range bound for the last couple of months. I think it's important to remember that that 10% decline from the September 2nd high took about three weeks to work itself out here. Here we are down about 5%. It's taken about a couple weeks. All of the uncertainty around the stimulus, around the election, we are going to get that resolution in about a week. And I think if investors feel pretty good and there's an uncontested result, no matter what the result is, I think the market probably gets back to it. That's not me pounding the table by any means, but there's a lot of things that could go wrong. And I think the coronavirus spiking right now is one of the things that kind of highlights that the presupposition of this market and of just everything that's going on that the virus wasn't coming back in any way shape or form that would somehow halt the economic recovery is just downright silly so when we hear the term complacent or overly positive sentiment that's why you get periods like we have right now because we forget that we are not in control of any of this complacent about uh, coronavirus and, and maybe additional lockdown measures at this point but maybe also complacent about the elections you know dan brought up the point about, you know, an uncontested election, we might not know the result. The election may not even be called for days after the election, depending on, on the ballot counts. There are about a half a dozen states that don't count mail-in ballots until election day, Tim. I mean, do you think that the markets have priced in the possibility that 
come the day after election, Wednesday, Thursday. We don't have a clear winner yet. And, and what does volatility look like in that case? Well, I think volatility today is 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 giving you it's a foreshadowing in some ways is is, you know, maybe this is some kind of a harbinger for some sense of, of where that uncertainty could could uh, persist. I, I think we will get clarity as it relates to the composition of the Senate, um, which I think is also very important for the markets. And we've made a lot of arguments uh, about what the market might actually do with uh, uh, essentially a, a standoff between uh, you know, the White House and the Senate, at least some balance of power. And that actually might also be positive. So, um, but there's no question. I, I think that's part of where the markets are right now. And, and another round of COVID, even though, I, 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 look, I, I feel eternally optimistic as a human being and and I have a lot of confidence in the pharma industry and the process around it that we're going to get that 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 vaccine we're certainly finding better treatments better numbers on mortality um, I think the markets overall looking at the economy have some reason to look forward and actually um, the impact of what that might look like when we actually get a vaccine. But meanwhile, we've got a very accommodative Fed. We've got a housing market that I think remains on fire, despite the fact that all parts of that trade aren't totally working right now. So um, I, I think that the uncertainty we're talking about makes so much sense. And and that's why I think a lot of traders and I mean professional and retail alike uh, might have packed it in last week. I, I think it, it would make sense that you wouldn't want to trade too hard through this. I mean, Guy, that makes a whole lot of sense, given all the, the things that are up in the air at this point. I, I'm hard-pressed, you know, short of a landslide either way, I'm hard-pressed mm -hmm. to believe you're going to have any um, declared winner within a week, if, if not a couple weeks out from November 3rd. And, and that, to me, speaks to a vol that, again, closed today at 32 and a half. If you go back, I think the June 2nd high, or thereabouts, was 41 in the VIX. To me, that makes all the sense in the world in terms of what you just outlined. Again, I don't, I, I, you know, just everything that I read suggests that you know, this thing is going to be hotly contested and the vitriol on both sides only going to increase over the next couple of weeks. That is not market friendly in any way. I, I hope I'm wrong. I just don't see how I can be. Uh, the other possibility is that it is not a contested election, that there is a winner and that there's civil unrest, Dan. And that's certainly the other wild card, which could be, uh, you know, damaging and psychologically damaging for the markets. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, listen, I, I think it's really interesting that that was something that we were talking a whole heck of a lot about in May and June when we really did have civil unrest in mm -hmm. this country to some extreme. I actually tend to be an optimist about our democratic process here. I think there's a very strong likelihood that not only November 4th do we have a very clear winner of the White House, but we also do of the Senate, and that we also have the sort of messaging that we will have a peaceful transfer of power. So you tell me, based on what we all just discussed over the last five minutes, what do you think think the market does in that scenario with the expectation that further infrastructure spending in a very accommodative Fed will outdo anything on the regulatory or the tax front. And you say to yourself, that's a pretty good setup for stocks. And I don't think that's really being priced into the market right here. So the risk reward is to the upside in your view, Dan. Well, I, I, listen, I think that the worst case scenario is on the tip of everybody's tongue because we live in a 24-hour news cycle where 
and especially on social media where that's the stuff that gets clicked and that's what we're all thinking about the one thing that we weren't thinking about in 2016 was that trump had a strong likelihood to win and he did and you remember the volatility on over every risk asset around the globe in that 24-hour period no one knew what to do so i think that knee-jerk first reaction on something that people aren't expecting you might see it reverse and it might be a very calming effect for markets and volatility in general i hope for our country's sake dan that you are absolutely 100% correct on that front. Karen, do you agree with Dan? Clear winner. I do uh, you know, agree. I do agree. I think that it's, it's certainly the unrest and the no clear winner is a, a likelihood, but I think the, the more likely scenario is clarity and um, a, a relatively peaceful response to that. Not that there won't be skirmishes or whatever, but I think that that is the more likely scenario, that we have clarity. Maybe not that day, maybe the next day, mm -hmm. but even if I knew that we wouldn't have an outcome for several days, I wouldn't know how to trade that. I wouldn't, I, I mean, I just buy companies that I like and valuations that I like. I don't know how to put in, you know, for the likelihood of a contested election and how to when do I know when to unwind that I don't so that's too difficult I'm yeah. just staying with what I got our next guest says we're only about halfway through this sell-off let's bring in Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist Mike Wilson he joins us on the fast line Mike great to speak with you hey Melissa how are you so halfway brings us to down 10 percent or so yeah look I mean you know the panel did a great job of uh, kind of laying out all the concerns the uh, things that people are aware of um, I give uh the best award to Karen for the uh, Halloween visual on the blood in the streets. Mm -hmm. And also, I agree with her completely at the end there talking about, look, you know, you have to have a framework about how you're investing and not get kind of pulled around by all these different events that we know are kind of in front of us. And we got to deal with that. But if I'm buying good companies at the right price and I have, I have confidence in over the next 12 months, well, then I should, I should see through that and I should, it should work out for me. It's the same, we think about the market the same way. So, at 34, 3500, we're just kind of full on valuation. Okay, that's 21 times. You know, the forward numbers of 160 is where we are today, and we think kind of a fair value is closer to 20 times, which is uh, 3200, 3250, something like that. And and then an overshoot, you could go uh, below that. So the risk reward as you're getting up around 3500 just wasn't that good. That's why we called for a 10 percent correction just to go back to the end of that range. We've, we've had a range of 3100 to 3550. 35, since the end of August, and it's, you know, it's kind of ping-pong back and forth. That's the framework, mm -hmm. and so we want to add risk. When you, if you think about it in market terms, you want to add risk towards the low end of that range, and you want to fade it towards the upper end of that range, at least until some of these things are, you know, some of these concerns are at least, you know, have, have come and gone. And I think, you know, Guy talked about the VIX. I mean, this is how a big part of our, our framework is. When the VIX is higher, your equity risk premium has to be higher, too. And so at 32, you know, the equity risk premium is, is too low, right? right? So the multiple, I would argue, is too high. So, and that's really the framework, and that's, we're just trying to be disciplined around that. So you yeah, have another 5%, maybe 6 7% if it gets really bad. So we call it 3,100 on the, on, the, on the bottom end. So how does, that, how does that trading range framework change, Mike, when we have clarity on the elections? Let's, let's assume that's in, in nine days or so. Yeah. So, you know, the VIX will come down, you know, in theory, right? So it'll become less volatile. Uh, we'll have more clarity around who's in control, what the fiscal package might look like, what the timing of that might be. And by the way, let's not forget about the virus, which you all mentioned, the second wave. That's also weighing on volatility right now because we don't know exactly how that's going to play out. I'm optimistic that ultimately we'll get through this, but we got to go through that period. 
So, but as volatility comes down as we as these events come and go, then the equity risk premium can come down, which is the same thing as saying the multiple can go back up. Hey, Mike, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. So below the surface of the market, obviously, we have subsectors, some that have been outperforming even during this period of, of sideways since mid-July. Um, wh what do you like here? And do you think we can continue to get uh, this rebound in these, some of these industrial names, some of these transport names that have been red hot? Um, or do you think higher rates could raise the, uh, the, the tailwind, I should say, more tailwind behind the banks? Talk to us about how you're playing it below the headline market. Yeah, I mean, beyond the simple trading range, which is, you know, kind of the, the game we have to play, or, you know, as we talk about strategists, the more interesting story is is beneath the surface. There, There is a really big bifurcation between what I would call overvalued stocks and undervalued stocks, depending on what your outlook is. So our outlook is pretty constructive for next year. We think the economy could be pretty hot, red hot in terms of growth. Obviously, easy comparison here. We could get more fiscal, likely we'll get more fiscal once the, you know, the new administration or the existing administration is, inaugurated again. And, and as that happens, what you want to be focused on are companies that are going to deliver outsized earnings relative to expectations. Okay, so there's a couple things to think about. You mentioned a couple areas, you know, in the industrial space, the material space, we like a lot. Financials, we think rates are going to move up once you get past these uh, risk events in the near term. It'll drive financials. Some of the smaller mid-cap companies, which we think are underappreciated. And basically, it's a reopening theme, right? As you continue to reopen the economy, a lot of these uh, parts of the market that has not been able to fully operate are going to see tremendous operating leverage. And I'll just finish up by saying, you know, the third quarter earnings season so far, you know, what we're seeing is that the revisions are flattening out, meaning we're seeing companies beat, but the out-year revisions are not as robust as they were in the second quarter, which makes sense as you get into the recovery. What we're looking for are stocks where those revisions are going to really surprise on the upside. And it may surprise you where those are. It probably isn't going to be the companies that have been benefiting from the lockdown this year, those companies are going to have smaller revisions as the comparisons get tougher. It's going to be more of the reopening type stories. Mike, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. How important or not is this this quarter, like really this week is actually the bulk of it, uh, for your model? Uh, it's very important for because what we want to try and confirm, Karen, is where is the operating leverage already showing up? You know, one of our these, uh, themes for this year is that because the unemployment rate shot up so fast, right, operating costs have come down tremendously, and then the government has helped out with fiscal stimulus. So what we're seeing is the companies that are operating are seeing huge increases in, in margins and profitability. It may be surprising, but um, based on the third quarter estimates where we see them today, the median stock in the S&P 500 will actually have higher operating margins in the third quarter than they did a year ago. Pretty remarkable, right, in terms of the efficiency there. So that's what we're really focused on is we're trying to find the companies where the, the margin upside is surprising, where we think that could continue into next year. Once again, it, it comes back to these sort of reopening stories. You know, some of the existing growth stocks, too, and some of the winners, current winners, where they've, they've got great efficiencies. So uh, that's, 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 our, that's kind of the formula. That's, the, that's what we're really looking for in the third quarter earnings season. Mike, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley. Uh, Guy, I think that's an important point that Mike was bringing up just now about operating margin. We have to be careful, though, that these, are, these would be sustainable operating margins. Some companies got boost because they weren't spending as much uh, just because of the, the times that we're in. It's, it's so, you know, I got to tell you, it's, it's, to me, it's so fascinating. Margins are increasing, if you look around, I mean, across the board, and that's very good for companies, but it speaks to a much different problem, something that Dan's talked about. You know, companies have learned how to do more with less, and those operating margins, by definition, to go higher, 
But you have to wonder, what does that augur for the broader economy in terms of the job market going forward here in the United States? I'm not smart enough to answer that question, but I think it's great on one hand. I think it really paints a sort of a dire picture on the other hand. That's just my two cents. Yeah, Dan, last word. Yeah, I just say that 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 issue of structural unemployment going forward, uh, high unemployment is going to be here to stay for the time being. And, And I just, again, worry about the pull forward. We're going to see it in a lot of consumer facing companies, the pull forward in demand and what that means. Um, for demand going forward for the next few quarters. So I'm not particularly optimistic about that. You know, we're sitting on an S&P 500 that's up 5% and NASDAQ that's up 26%. That's on a year where earnings were down, I don't know, 30%. Last year in 2019, the S&P was up almost 30% and earnings growth were flat. So what are we willing to pay for these earnings that have basically been subsidized by the government? I'm not certain that we are going to get the sort of returns that we expect or would like to expect on the sort of economic recovery that a lot of optimists are hoping for over the next couple of years. Coming up, much more in today's market sell-off, including the stark warning from SAP that sent that stock to its worst day in two decades. Plus, we're breaking down the safety trade investors piling into bonds today. But one of our traders says bond, today's bond rally is going to be short-lived. He'll tell us why when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. A really rough day for SAP. Shares tumbling more than 23% after the company slashed revenue and profit forecasts. The company warning coronavirus lockdowns will impact demand for its software through the first half of next year. And Dan, we should note that this company had given guidance April 24th, and now it's back saying that things are, are worse. Well, it's really interesting. And I think this goes back, Mel, to the conversation we were just having about visibility. You know, think about giving guidance back in April. A lot of companies thought this was going to be a one or two quarter thing. They discounted out what maybe some worst case scenarios were. And then they gave full year guidance. That's what SAP did. It's really interesting, though, that the stock from mid-April or so kind of rose about 50% to its recent highs. You know where it went today? It went back to exactly where it was trading when it gave that guidance. If you look at the one-year chart um, back on uh, April 8th, I think, or so. So to me, you know, a lot of analysts were saying this is very company-specific. Maybe it was very poor modeling of the company on their own business. Um, but it just speaks to the fact that what are the words that we were given uh, using before? Complacency, unusually high sentiment. You know, everybody's got a plan until they get socked in the mouth. And I think that's what <laughs> happened here with SAP. On the conference call, the company also said there are a lot of businesses that are putting off spending because of, of how the, the pandemic has unfolded. Guy, you're, you're grimacing. I feel like you were in Dan's head when he was talking about that chart. Uh, he, no, Dan's in my head because I'm looking back in early May. If you look where this stock exploded to the upside from, it was basically 113, which is exactly basically where we traded down to today. On, oh, by the way, about 19 times normal volume. SAP typically trades about 600,000 shares or so a day. So everything Dan has said is spot on. You know, I understand that Fastly is not the same company, but go back and look at what they said. Look at the move we saw in that stock. $8 billion market cap company. I understand SAP is $120-something billion, much different. 
But one has to look at this and say that to me, what they said wasn't a 23% move, yet that's what the market punished them by. And then you start to think about the dialogue and some of the commentary they made, and it is concerning because I think everybody or a lot of people thought software was impenetrable in this environment we find ourselves in. All right. We've got much more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. There are only eight days left to the election, and markets are bracing for what could be a drawn-out battle, what it means for where you put your money. And later, shares of Exxon approaching a key level that could signal big trouble for the energy complex. What could be next for the sector? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks plunging on Wall Street today as we close in on Election Day. It is now just eight days away. So what is the biggest election risk for investors right now? Let's bring in Raymond James, senior policy analyst, Ed Mills. Ed, great to have you with us. Thanks, Melissa. Great to be here. What is the biggest risk in your view? Uh, the biggest risk uh, from every investor I ask here at Raymond James is a contested election. Something that draws this out, what the market wants is a clear winner on November 3rd or it declared pretty soon thereafter, and then a quick pivot for additional fiscal relief for this economy so that we can get on with the economic recovery and focus on fundamentals rather than politics. What is the, uh, I, I mean, I hate to ask this question, but I have to ask it, what do you think the impact on the market is if we have uh, you know, a, a clear, a clear um, outcome when it comes to Congress, but we have an unclear outcome when it comes to the presidency? Uh, the most important is by far the presidency. Sure. Um, one of the things that I'm watching early on election night is the state of North Carolina. It is a swing state. It has a Senate election that could be clearly uh, determinant of the uh, majority in the Senate. They count all of their absentee ballots starting 14 days before the election. So they're counting them now on election night. If it is clear that Joe Biden has won North Carolina and the Democrat has won the Senate seat, it might take a little bit into the evening, then it's a Democratic sweep. If it's close or if Trump has won, I think that's where the conventional wisdom could be up for disruption. And here's one real question. Let's say it's a clear-cut um, Joe Biden victory, and in the ensuing days you see a significant rally in the U.S. equity market, which will no doubt um, infuriate the president given his, you know, his his um, 
want for the market to go higher under his administration. My question is, if you see both those things happen, how much of a, a potential um, monkey wrench in the system could that be? A rising market in, a, in, you know, in that month and a half period where President Trump would be a lame duck president? Yeah, so the real question is, is would it be a wounded duck uh, kind of time period in that any deal on fiscal stimulus would be off? Uh, I do believe that's why uh, Majority Leader McConnell last week said the Senate would only consider a bill if there was a presidentially supported bill, leaving open the fact that President Trump could back off any deal that is struck. However, there are some things that he would like to get done. Uh, the December 11th deadline for funding the government in a rise in COVID cases put pressure on it. The market would also be looking at a scenario where in a post-inauguration period, we'd have a much larger package. Uh, so I think that's where the pivot goes to rather than a kind of near-term deal. So quickest deal in a Trump re-election, largest deal in a Democratic sweep. The biggest uncertainty there would be a Biden victory with the Republican Senate. Would Mitch McConnell play ball in that scenario? Is civil unrest, regardless of if we have clarity or, or we don't have clarity in, in terms of the presidency, Ed, does that factor in? Is that a risk factor in your view? Or is that, not, is that so small compared to the others? It is, a, Melissa, I think it's an important thing to think about. Um, ultimately, we are a very divided society. And so that's part of the reason why I think the market has wanted a clear winner, because I think there is going to be a segment of this population, regardless of how this election turns out, that will not accept the winner. If there is doubt in the election, that's where we see a greater chance of civil unrest, including a real chance that there is a difference between the popular vote winner mm -hmm. in the electoral college vote winner. I think there's real upside uh, or not upside, actually, uh, real kind of a downside risk to the market from a civil unrest scenario uh, kind of playing out, uh, as you discussed. Ed, thank you. Ed Mills, Raymond James. Thank you. Uh, Tim Seymour, you wake up, you day after Election Day, the risk is to the what? Upside or downside? Uh, do, are you giving me an outcome here, Mel? Come no, on. choose your I own mean, adventure. Tell me something. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think the adventure is is one uh, around clarity. I don't. There's not much more I can add to a conversation where where there's uncertainty that markets are not going to do a whole lot. They're going to trend lower. Um, they're going to trend lower till we have some sense on the pathway. I have zero expectation we're going to get stimulus uh, with a lame duck Senate as well. I, I think uh, it's probably not until the first quarter or late first quarter you could get something. I think the infrastructure bill is is the closest thing we have to you know very bipartisan and and i think there are places to to begin to play that now so the the trades that are going to work though uh, especially if if rates are tricking higher uh because of some expectation if here's some scenario analysis if you're getting more of a blue wave mm -hmm. um, i think you're going to continue to see rates go a bit higher and that's going to support some of those infrastructure trades that's going to support some of those resource trades um, but i i think uh, as I opened the show, I, I think there are a lot of folks that are positioned now how they expect to be positioned for the next three weeks. All right. Coming up, the three most troubling charts in the markets right now. What's got Dan so concerned about the action he's seeing in them? And later, we're counting down to earnings from the first of the five big tech names reporting this week. What option traders are saying we should expect from Microsoft. A lot more fast money right after this break.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks getting slammed today with the S&P 500 notching its worst day in more than a month. And today's sell-off has Dan Nathan putting on his technician hat. He's flagging the three most troubling charts in the market. But he is not alone on this one. This is a Fast Money Technicals tag team. The chart master, Carter Braxtonworth, is also standing by to see if there's really trouble brewing in these charts. So, um, Dan, why don't you kick us off uh, with the first chart on Exxon. First disclaimer, I learned everything I know about charts from Carter, so let's just get that out of the way right now. This is kind of good, the bad, and the ugly when we think about the three names we're going to talk about. Let's talk about Exxon first. This stock is down 50% on the year. This thing hasn't seen an uptick in like three months or so. Um, to me, I go back and I look at that low from the spring at 30, and I say to myself, oh my goodness, if that thing breaks, it's about 10% away, that takes you all the way back to the 2002 low, and I say warning bells are gonna go off in the energy complex, so I think you gotta keep a really close eye on this Exxon chart right here in that $30 level. Carter, what do you tell your grasshopper? <laughs> sure, well, I mean, I can't disagree if everything he knows is for me, kind of in a, a box there, but hey, listen, the, the key is this, uh, does Exxon break its March low? One way to figure that out, of course, is look at other big integrated. So we know that Royal Dutch, for instance, is right at its March low. Dan just mentioned that Exxon is 10% above. We know that BP has already broken that March low, and it's about 10, 12% below. Chevron's uh, much higher above. In any event, the issue is this. When you do uh, hover ominously just above a prior low, and other stocks in uh, comparable positions have broken or are on the cusp of breaking, uh, the bet is that it does break. So uh, I'm with Dan here for sure, uh, lower prices for Exxon. What it means for the energy overall, remember, the entire sector is only 1.9% of the S&P. And two stocks, Exxon and Chevron, are half the weight. It's almost not even a sector anymore. Hmm. All right. Uh, Dan, the next one, uh, one of the big bank stocks charts. So what's troubling you about this yeah. one? So if Exxon was the ugly, this is kind of the good. It's Bank America. Um, this thing is down 30% of the year, but I think importantly, it's up about 38% from its March low. It's making what I think some technicians would call a little bit of a wedge. Carter would say that tension is really building here. Um, but to me, you know, there's a lot of optimism about this group. They actually act pretty well over the last few months. Um, but I just feel like a break of that uptrend from the March lows. And I think you have a lot of these money center banks following um, suit. And then you put that together with some of these names like energy, and then you got financials just not acting well. I think that is the risk right here about a cyclical trade in the market that a lot of money wants to rotate into. Well, what Dan characterized it is just that it's a wedge or a triangle. What it represents is a standoff. And you use the word tension, meaning you're, you're have, you have converging trend lines, and Dan's drawn those lines, in a converging price range. Uh, we know that the, uh, the stock is sitting here basically in the apex of that formation. And typically you get a fairly dynamic resolution up and out or uh, down and out, a breakdown or, or breakout. Now here's the interesting thing. Here too we can look for precedent. We know that Citibank has already collapsed down and broken out to the downside. JP Morgan, however, U.S. Bancorp, PNC, and most uh, other banks, the BKX, the carry, have broken to the upside. I think BAC, uh, the bet here is that it will likely get resolved up out of the wedge, the triangle, not down. Mm, difference of opinion there. Uh, Dan, you're looking at Walmart next. 
Yeah, so this would be the good right here. So let's go back to July and you look at that ramp. It went up uh, about 10% in a straight line and then it kept on kind of notching higher. It got as high as 150 here. If you draw a line from that July level up until where we are right now, where it kind of tested there today, I'd say that's a really key support level for a stock that's acted very, very well throughout this pandemic. You know, one of these names that for a lot of fundamental reasons people have been excited about. And we know that that move back in July is when they announced Amazon Prime or excuse me, uh, Walmart Prime to compete with Amazon. Um, so, you know, you've had a lot of really good fundamental news in the name, but it's starting to kind of labor a little bit here and break that recent uptrend over the last few months. I just keep an eye on some of your best names because they run the risk of also breaking down. Well, I mean, that's exactly right. So, you know, it's funny. This, uh, I had a teacher and mentor uh, some 30 years ago, and he said to me, if you can draw a straight line, you'll probably be okay in this business. I thought, my gosh, he doesn't think much of me. But the truth is he was being very candid and honest. And uh, uh, Dan's drawn a straight line. So what we know is this, that the stock got re-rated aggressively higher with the 7th of July. It was its news that it would compete against Amazon Prime. And if you draw a trend line along the uh, sequence of higher lows, we are flirting with either holding or breaking trend. I think Walmart holds here, and my inclination is to be on the long side. Mm, okay. Uh, maybe just to end, I've got uh, yeah. one chart. Absolutely. Uh, what's maybe the, one of the worst charts out there, and maybe you can see it on the screen here. This is MSG uh, Networks. Uh, th this is, uh, well, if you were to define a downtrend, you'd probably use this as an example among others, but it's an unrelenting uh, circumstance of weakness, both absolute and relative. There are other stocks like it, but this is especially bad. All right. Carter, great to see you. Thank you. Carter Worth, Cornerstone Macro. A lot of charts to go through. Um, Tim, I'll, I'll, I'll go to you. Which one caught your fancy? By the way, the movie's called The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, not The Ugly, The Bad, and the Good. So, uh, yeah, Dan needs to get his Clint Eastwood down. Um, but it was, a, it was a good exercise, and I'm a Walmart fan. Uh, I believe there was re-rating on July 7th. I believe there was uh, a dynamic that's been also, we talk about these trends of acceleration because of COVID, and, and that's what's going on with the Walmart. Uh, the digital e-commerce business is soaring. Uh, there is a tech company in the middle of the biggest brick-and-mortar retailer in the world. And I think that's part of what you're excited mm -hmm. about. Look how defensive it was on a day. Uh, I know it's not just that COVID day, trades of yesteryear are good trades for uh, an uptick, but I, I think Walmart has done the fundamental work here and the chart looks decent. Karen? Well, you know, I used to not be a believer in charting stocks, but I've actually come around. And one of the reasons is if enough people think there's merit to it, then there is merit to it. So. Also, I like it when they agree with positions that I have, which is Bank America and Walmart. Uh, I still like them both. Walmart for all the reasons that Tim said. And it has this sort of uh, stay-at-home trade, but also a reopen trade or a stimulus trade. And it's not crazy expensive. So I like that. ExxonMobil, not for me. Guy, what would you think of uh, Dan's work? I thought he did quite well with his That's teacher. Tremendous. <laughs> tremendous. I mean, you know, as, as I've said a multitude of times, Carter Braxtonworths, you know, he's, he's on the, the Parthenon of, of all things Pantheon, being, Parthenon, you know, technician. Also. And, you know, Pantheon. that too. He's on both of them, as it turns out. <laughs> I'll say this as well. I don't know why he's speaking to a grasshopper. I didn't understand a word you were saying there. But I would like to go off the board for 500 and say that I'm surprised Dan bring, uh, didn't bring up Wells Fargo being 
the ugly because Wells Fargo is an unmitigated disaster and now it's within 70 cents of, I think, taking out that March low of $22. I mean, that to me is the one that I think people really got to start to look at and say, mm. what's eating, not Gilbert Grape in this situation, but Wells Fargo, Melissa. All right. Coming up, Microsoft on deck to report earnings tomorrow. Will the work from home trend spark a rally in this big tech name? That trade ahead, much more fast money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Today's sell-off had investors piling into treasuries. Check out our chart of the day. The yield in the 10-year falling below 0.8%. Um, Tim, you're watching this move very closely. What was your take? Well, we ha- look, we have to be watching long rates for a lot of different reasons. Some of them are a barometer of inflation. Mostly, I think they're a barometer of, of where the economy is. And obviously, uh, the Federal Reserve plays a major role here. But uh, if you look at where we've been going on rates, and we've been talking about rates almost signaling maybe that there was some stimulus, maybe there was not. But either way, breaking back above the 200, which it's trying, which the 10-year uh, yield is trying to do for the first time since December of 2018. Remember, uh, it was effectively trading above the 200-day. Yields were moving higher for almost two years uh, as we got into then the fall of 2018 and trade war fears and really all kinds of fears. And remember December 2018, I think we all do. Then yields went below the 200-day and have been, you know, have been trending and fighting a long time to find a base and build that base. I think we've built that base. I think rates are going higher. The implications are uh, certainly reflation trades will continue to work. Uh, and I do think you're going to see uh, more follow-through on the economy, even if it's not overnight. Rates don't get away from you on the upside. But again, this trend above the 200-day for long rate signals, I think you've seen the lows. Is there a trade in your view, Karen, in, in TLT or in bonds? Uh, well, one thing interesting today, HYG, the high-yield bond, um, what, the high-yield ETF was down. That's sort of interesting to me. Normally, you you know, it would move the other way, but maybe credit's starting to get a little, people are getting maybe a little bit concerned. But I agree with Tim. I think we've seen the bottom of the 10-year, and uh, banks, even though they're not a two-year, 10-year trade, they the, the stocks trade as if they were. Mm-hmm. So I think if 10-year continues to, the yield continues higher, Banks will be higher. All right. Coming up, Microsoft shares taking on the chin today. What can investors expect when they report earnings tomorrow? We'll dive into the options pits next. And at the top of the hour, Kramer is talking to the CEOs of Plug Power and American Electric Power. It's going to be lit. This is it on the prompter. It's going to be lit on Mad Money tonight. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tech getting wrecked in today's sell-off. Check out shares of Microsoft dropping nearly 3% ahead of tomorrow's earnings report. Over in the options markets, uh, traders are betting an even bigger move could be in store when the results cross the wire. Bonoan Eisen's got the action. Hey, Bonoan. Hey, Melissa. How are you doing? So taking a look at the uh, options action, calls outpaced puts about two times to one. If you take that a step further and take a look at the at the money straddles, the options are implying about a 5% move in either direction between now and Friday's X3. Compare that to about a 2.5% move on average of what we've seen on earnings of the last four quarters. And a trade that I thought was pretty interesting stuck out to me. 1,500 of the Microsoft October 30th, this Friday, November 6th, next Friday, 210, 220 strangle swaps traded for 280. So they bought the 210, 220 strangle out to November 6th, paid 975 for that. They sold the October 30th, 210, 220, same strangle, at 695 for a net cash outlay of 280. So after Friday's X3, your break-evens are going to be about 222.80. 
6.5% to the upside, or about 207.20 or 99% of current spot. If the stock breaks 203.05 or 226.95 before Friday, what you're going to do to manage this position is sell out of that November long and buy back that October. I thought this was a pretty interesting way. You're selling earnings, vol. You're buying back earnings and election vol. Pretty crafty. Hmm. Tim, uh, what are your thoughts on the Microsoft trade going into earnings? Well, and the numbers, that that chart, they're resting on the 100, so it looks like the weakest of the big five. I would also just say, you know, Intel's data center weakness, SAP's weakness, this may not be just company specific. Watch out for enterprise. Watch out for cloud. Yep. All right. Bono and thanks. Good to see you, Bono and Ison. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Quick programming note, be sure to catch the Robin Hood co-CEO tomorrow morning exclusively on Squawk Box right here on CNBC starting at 6 a.m. Uh, we got a market flash here in Las Vegas Sands. Bloomberg reporting that the company is exploring the sale of its $6 billion Las Vegas business. Uh, that stock is uh, popping 3.7% in the after-hour session. Guy, quick thoughts here. Yeah, my initial thought is, I mean, Sheldon Adelson isn't selling into strength here. I mean, that is devastating if they're looking to sell their Las Vegas portion of the business. What does that say about Las Vegas? I mean, you could say he's selling the lows. Maybe he thinks it goes lower from here. That, to me, is a huge story to talk about over the next couple days. Yeah, Tim, just quickly, I mean, to focus on the Macau business, it's interesting. Well, maybe. Um, but I, I, I think there are some trends we've talked about in terms of online gambling, certainly in this country, that are also global. I, you know, some of the heyday of Vegas may be behind us. We'll see. All right. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Dan Nathan, kick us off. Yeah, so I'm going to take the other side of Tim's rate trade. I think the 10-year topped out there at a 200-day moving average. I think you can buy the TLT after the decline that's been on over the last couple of weeks. Tim. ATT had some very strong subs in their report last week. They're also paying you 7.5% to stick around in that stock. I like AT&T. Karen. Yeah, if the market opens down a lot tomorrow and the VIX spikes up, I'm going to be selling some more S&P puts. Guy. My Twitter friends educated me. It's this grasshopper thing. I apologize, Mel. Well done by you. Take two interactive (laughs) in the November 5th earnings release. All right, Grasshopper. Thanks for watching Fast Money, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.